Hey, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing good. Thank you very much. Uh, why don't we uh, Why don't we start our morning with a hymn? Does that sound good? All right. So everybody, first of all, why don't you turn to somebody and just go, "Hey, I'm glad you're here." <clears throat> there you go. Yeah, we're we're. Uh, I'm glad all of you're here. Um, and why don't we stand up? Let's take a deep breath. Let's think about our morning. We get to take communion together. We get to sing songs to the Creator together. And we get to worship as one church family. What a joy it is to do all of that. So let's focus our hearts on Jesus and sing of the wonderful cross. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died my richest gain I count but Demands my soul, my 
He's a prison shaking Savior. You got chains. He's the chain breaker. If you need freedom or saving, He's a prison shaking Savior. If you got chains, He's the chain breaker. Yeah, is there a woo in the house? <laughs> oh, it is good to have fun in the name of Jesus. Hey, why don't you sit down? A couple of announcements for you. Um, as we get going, first of all, if you're a visitor here, uh, you're, you're more important than the rest of us. Thank you very much for coming. We appreciate you being here. Uh, if you want to fill out one of those blue cards in front, in, in front of you, we'll send you an email or something that says hi. Um, if you want any information about anything, feel like serving in any way, would like to be uh, part of the church in a more dynamic way, that blue card is a great opportunity to do that for all of you. I need to get through announcements quick today because we have something way more fun to do. Uh, so first of all, senior adults. If you don't like the name senior adult, then come to the senior adult lunch and we'll figure out what to call us. Um, uh, after church today, uh, in the fellowship hall, um, we're gonna, you know, I hope you brought something to share, and if you didn't, then we'll just all eat less and have a good time. That's fine. Um, so right over in the fellowship hall, um, after church, we hope to see you there. August 11th, oh, connection class. The plan is to have um, connection classes next, way, next Sunday and the Sunday following. Only a couple people signed up, which just means you, we just come to our house for dinner. That'd be great. Um, but if you would like to join the church, if you'd like more information about the church, if you'd like to be part of that connection class, then your bulletin has a thing to check off or the blue card or really any way you could like send a text or you can make a paper airplane out of your bulletin and put connection class on one of the wings, however you want to do it, um, and put those in the giving boxes in the back on the way, and we'll be sure you're invited, have materials for you, all of that. Uh, so that is an invitation to you. August 11th is opening night. We are excited to be back with full adult studies and a youth group on Wednesday night, and a yell came up from the crowd, yes, um, and uh, we need to work on our yells, um, and, uh, and Awana, all that starts August 11th. If you have a pulse, this is for you. Only come to it if you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus. That's the only reason to come to Wednesday night. So, um, so the 11th, we won't be getting started with Bible studies and stuff. The 11th is a time of fellowship. Uh, we'll have the bounce house over in the corner for the kids. We'll have uh, cornhole for us over competitive types. We'll have uh, stuff to eat and, and people to hang out with. So uh, August 11th, we'll get us started our opening night of our new fall season. I don't know. Um, and worshiping giving. If giving is part of your morning, we'd be grateful for it. And the uh, the giving boxes are in the back. Um, if that's part of your worship of the Lord, then that's where to do that. Also, um, I think there's a QR code, code on the back of your bulletin. You can always give online there. All that got out of the way so I could introduce you to somebody very important. I would like to introduce you to Luke Sesma and his parents, my friends, Jenna and Ryan, and Renee. Are you coming up with us too, Renee? You're not, you're gonna stay there? Well, this is big sister Renee. You'll have to give her a high five at another point. But this is Jenna and Ryan Sesma, and they have brought baby Luke to be dedicated today. Yeah, that's a good time to clap, yeah. 
Hey guys, how are you? Good. That's the first time I've seen him out of his ba- uh, out of the carrier. Amen. Look at him. How's he doing? He's doing He's great. Good. Yeah. Well, we we like that around here. I'm going to ask to hold him in just a second, but not for now, not for now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I got that, dude. It's fine. Um, guys, this is... Uh, oh, thank you very much, Ryan. Um, I never miss an opportunity to tell everybody. I met Ryan when he was 15 years old and got to be his youth pastor and, and got to perform the ceremony that made you guys man and wife. And now to get to dedicate Luke is just a... I just want you to know how full my heart is, how, what, what a really genuine joy this is. You know, God's given you a, a super important responsibility. Hey, Renee, good to have you here. Um, God's given you guys a super important responsibility in raising these two. And, and as, as this gift that is Luke comes to you, I thought, you know, what, what not just instruction, but encouragement from the scriptures could I offer you this morning? And my mind went to the Proverbs. You know, Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And that's been understood as a promise many times, but it's not a promise. Rather, it's instruction that Luke is going to be his own man. He's going to have certain gifts and certain weaknesses, and it's going to be your job to really learn this little dude and to guide him in a way that, that he is supposed to go. So every kid's different. Every situation's different, and it's going to be your responsibility to not only remember and honor God in Luke's life, but also to really get to know him and, and lead him in the way that most honors God in his life. You know, I, it, I thought of Proverbs 22.15 and Proverbs 29.15, both that sound similar. It says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive him far from it. You know, it's probably you're already there, but by the time Luke's a toddler, you will understand that folly is bent up in the heart of a child, that he's going to need direction, he's going to need discipline. Proverbs 29, 15 says, the rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. You know, we live in a world where it's less and less cool to give kids standards to live up to, but God has given you this little boy and said, you need to decide what the standard is for your home. That word rod there has been used in abusive and terrible ways, but all it means is a standard that you would say, hey, your assessment, this is the standard in our home. So I would encourage you not only to get to know Luke, who is an individual, and you'll have to train him in the way he should go, but also that you would give him an anchor that we're a Christian family. This is God's standard, and we're going to hold you accountable to it. And that balance of letting him be the unique kid that God designed him to be and also hemming him in and training him and giving him that good, loving, godly discipline, it's, it's a high call. It's an important job. You know, I remember using this scripture at your wedding ceremony, but I think it might be the most important proverb of them all, and we're all familiar with it. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. You know, raising a child is a, you feel lost all the time. One of my my favorite quotes is some guy that I can't remember his name, and 
He said, I used to have six ideas about raising kids, and now I have six kids and no ideas. <laughs> and and um, the world is going to give you all kinds of things for you to trust. There's going to be parenting books. There's going to be advice from everywhere. The scriptures would say, you know what? Trust in the Lord. Make this a matter of prayer. Make this a matter of continually telling Bible stories and seeking the scriptures. And that's going to be the way that Luke is trained to be the godly man that God made him to be. Well, a couple of questions for you before I uh, pray for Luke. Ryan and Jenna, will you commit yourselves to following God as you raise Luke, and will you seek to instruct him? Absolutely. (laughs) Having a baby is the best day of your life? Moms? All right, we'll talk about it in a while. <laughs> Ryan and Jenna, will you seek to bring Luke up in the knowledge of God? Will you tell him Bible stories? Will you pray with him? Will you pray for him? Looking forward with hope to the day that he commits his life to Christ. Yes. Yeah. And will you do your best to protect him physically and spiritually, knowing that although he is the Lord's, you have been, been given him as a gift and have also been given the charge of his discipline and protection? Yes. Yes. Church family, do we promise to be a loving and nurturing church family, caring for this little one and his family in Christ's love as church family? Can I pray for him? Luke, will you come here? He's going to be, I'm I'm pretty strong. What are we thinking? 30 homers and 30 stolen bases? Is that what we're thinking? Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're at that. <laughs> That's true. Hi, Luke. I'm Grant. <laughs> well, why don't we pray? Would you pray for this family as I dedicate Luke to the Lord? Heavenly Father, thank you for this child. Lord, it is a joy and a gift to welcome a baby into a home. It's a joy and a gift to welcome a baby into a church. Lord, what a gift little Luke is. Lord, we pray for his parents. Thank you for giving him Ryan and Jenna who have committed to love him, who have committed to discipline him, train him, to read him stories about you, to pray with him, to be examples of what a godly man and godly woman look like. Lord, thank you for the family that Luke's in. Lord, thank you for bringing him here. Lord, it would be a great joy if we would get to love on him and and, uh, care for him and be the support to Ryan and Jenna that they need. Lord, they have brought Luke to be dedicated to you, that he would be a man who seeks after you, that he would be a man who finds his protection, finds his sense of self-worth, finds his identity in how much you love him. So God, he's committed by his parents to your service, to your loving care. God, we are grateful for their faith that is going to guide him. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, guys, let's have a three-minute party, and this would be an appropriate couple to, uh, to come and give a hug to during the three-minute party. Why don't you stand and greet each other? You did so good. You did so good. You did so good. It's so much fun. Yeah, man. It gets hot up here, huh? It does get hot up here, yeah. That fan feels really nice. Yeah, right here.
Well, welcome back. If you could find a seat, we'll prepare our hearts for communion. <laughs> you know, as uh, as I was thinking about as I was thinking about this morning and thinking about communion and a baby dedication, on the same day there was a a, a part of a part. Hey, the kids are with us for communion. Hey, kids, it's good to have you here. Um, there is there is a part of a, of an old hymn that kept coming to my mind. Do you remember? How sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy that he gives, but greater still that calm assurance that he can face uncertain days because he lives. You know, in the same way that we encourage the Sesmas as they dedicate little Luke, we all look ahead and go, there are uncertain days, and the reason we can have confidence in those uncertain days is because the tomb is empty. As we prepare our hearts for communion today, let me read you this very brief passage from Luke that tells us why we've gathered today. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Whatever the future holds, we can trust the one who has risen from the grave. So we're going to play a song. There's going to be some volunteers here to serve. We'd invite you during this song to do two things. First of all, the very practical, come forward and take the communion elements and go back to your seat. We'll, we'll receive them uh, all together after the song. But would you take a reflective moment and search your own life and search your own heart? Say, where is it that I have failed to fully trust this risen Savior? Is there sin in your life? Man, now's a great time to confess it. Is there worry or fear? Now's a great time to give it to him. Is there doubt? Well, now's a great time to be honest with Jesus about that. As we come and take these elements, we do two things. We proclaim him, we proclaim his death, and we proclaim him as king until he comes again. It's a powerful thing we do. So let's do it with reverence, with awe, and with a light heart, remembering that we can trust the risen Savior. Heavenly Father, as we prepare our hearts, we give you glory and honor. Thank you. Jesus, for your obedience to death. Thank you for the death-defying power of the empty tomb. Lord, teach us to live in that confidence and power. Savior, I come Quiet my soul, remember, redemption's here, your blood was spilled for my ransom, everything I want, self-dear, 
Father, we love you so much that you would give your one and only Son that we might live. Lord, that you invented life and then conquered death. Lord, we're aware of our own sin and we confess it. We know that in and of ourselves we are not enough. And yet we see the empty tomb. We see your teaching, your power, And Lord, we know that we are saved in you. Lord, we have found the pearl of great price that we have looked for our whole lives. We have found the treasure that is worth giving up everything else. Lord, as we take these elements, we remember your crucifixion, the pain, the sorrow that you bore, our stripes put on you that we might be healed. Lord, as we take these elements, we proclaim you until you come again. Lord, you are our King. You are our Lord. You are our salvation. You are the love of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he blessed it and he passed it to his disciples and he said, every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's remember him together. Then after the bread, he took the cup. He took the cup and he poured it for his 12 disciples. And he said, in the same way, each time you drink this, remember me. Let's remember him together. Amen. What a joy to take that small meal together. Hey, kids. Children's Church is available for you if you want to go off. Thank you for being with us for communion. That's always very special. For the rest of us, let's sing one more song. Make it a song of commitment.
Um, please join with me as we read God's Word in Luke 6, verses 12 through 16, and then listen to what he has to say to us through Grant today. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose them, twelve whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he called Peter, Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Father, we um, thank you for your word. We ask that you would bless it and that you would... um, just dissect it and help us to apply what you have for us today. Please bless Grant as he gives us the message. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you very much, Becky. Well, grab a Bible. Are you open up to Luke 6? Yeah, good. Well done. Man, what a full morning. What more could be said? Gosh, to be able to take communion together and to introduce little Luke to everyone, how profound, you know, that his name is Luke. That's, that's great. What a great time. You know, I'm looking forward to the next baby who's born in the fall, whose name will have to be Second Samuel. Um, <laughs> nobody get pregnant when we're going through Malachi. Or Malachi's a great name. That'll work. That's a, that'll work. It's a good, strong name. You know, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It starts small, and then it grows. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed in that it gets planted in a life, in a town, in a culture, and then it transforms that life, that town, that culture. You know, usually, that's over a period of time. There's conversion, and then there's a process of maturity. There's a mission that grows. That's true in a life. It's true in a local church. It's, it's true in a city. That that is always like the direction of the gospel, ever expanding. One way to think about the way Luke writes his book to us. Um, remember, this is the, the prequel, or maybe Acts is the sequel, or maybe we would look at it as one completed work. But if we look at the gospel of Acts, that folds right into the book of Acts, we would say, man, one of the most evident observations we could make is that the gospel starts very small and then in ever-increasing amounts goes to the ends of the known world. 
So I want to take this small passage today, and I want to look at um, a couple of different things. Actually, three, three quick things. One, I do want to spend some time noticing where we are in the book of Luke. You know, it's good for us to not just look at these as Bible story after Bible story, but to know that Luke is a fantastic author who is trying to teach us something not only in this story, but in the grand story that he's telling us. So the first thing I'd like to, for us to observe about uh, this passage is, is just the book of Luke, the story of Jesus that goes from very small, very personal to this global story. Also, second, I would like for us to spend a few minutes this morning looking at the leadership style of Jesus. Jesus' Jesus' leadership should not be ignored. You know, um, on one hand, we would think, oh, well, he's Jesus. How could we ever model ourselves after him? But isn't that exactly what the incarnation was intended to do, is give us the model of how we should live a life? Jesus is the perfect human. Let's try to observe the perfect human and be as much like him as we can. So if you have people to lead, if you have decisions to make, we would do well to consider how Jesus made decisions and led people. Third, at the end, let's just pay a little bit of attention to the apostles themselves. And I suppose for obvious reasons, on one hand, their office is unique and important that those 12 that Jesus called on this day hold a special place in the history of the church is evident. At the same time, again, we should not beatify them in such a way that we put them on a pedestal and say, oh, well, you know, that's Peter. I could never be. Sure you can. Peter was called and empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is not only an option for you, this is the call to you. So let's look at the makeup of the apostles a little bit. If we make too little of the apostles, of these 12, we don't realize how important they are. You know, there's a, I, I read a lot of things about, oh, these, these backwater disciples, you know, who are unintelligent, probably, probably were illiterate. And then I go, they wrote the New Testament or or trained the people that wrote the New Testament. These were were not bumpkins we were dealing with. At the same time, they were common men. So let's not make too much of them. Let's also not make too little of them. So let's start just by enjoying the story that Luke's telling us, the the story, we might say, of the, the trajectory of the gospel. Luke wants us to pay attention to this. The way Luke organizes this, his great work, Luke and Acts, is obviously with a trajectory. He not only wants us to hear the teachings of Jesus, but we're supposed to feel the movement. I wonder if we would think of of the church, of the gospel, of the mission of Jesus more in terms of like physical and cultural movement. You know, we use that word movement. We even maybe occasionally would say this movement that Jesus has called us to, but, but we kind of mean the other definition of movement, like an ideological group of ideas, when really, you know, the first thing Christianity was ever called was the way. This is supposed to be a path, a way to live, and it's supposed to be in motion. It's not supposed to be all the salt and the salt shaker. Rather, think about these metaphors of the church, salt and light. These are only being what they're supposed to be if they are out and active and growing. In one sense, God has always been everywhere. Is that true? Of course it is. In another sense, though, the story of reconciliation, which is what the story is about, the redemption of mankind 
the reconciliation of all things to God, including humanity. This is the story of unstoppable chesed love of God. Do you remember that word, that, that great Old Testament word gets translated everlasting love. It gets translated mercy. It is the faithful, unconditional, not that the covenants are unconditional, there's punishment when we don't worship Jesus, but the unconditional, never-ending, said merciful love of God that has continued to pursue humanity for all time. Many have called this the hounds of heaven. And it has always been like a mustard seed, starting small and having ever-expanding motion. Two people, Adam and Eve. Hey, fill the earth with God's love. Fill the earth with the kingdom of God. It has always been God's desire. It has always been God's plan to have human people who are in his kingdom who would be special to him and who would reign with him from the Garden of Eden. I don't know how far you've read in the Bible, but it didn't go that great for very long. <laughs> so there's Noah. Hey, Noah, same thing. Would you fill the earth with the reign of Yahweh? Well, Babel is just one chapter after that. So then there's Abraham, starting with one man, one family. Their job is to fill the earth with the reign and love of God. So Jesus comes and gathers these 12 disciples. And you know, I, I know I don't have a lot of time today, so I can't take rabbit trails. If you need me to like stop rabbit trailing, just throw something. Um, um, but do you remember the last thing that is recorded in Matthew that Jesus says to these same men is go make disciples. It is always about motion, about the expansion of the kingdom of God. So let's just take a couple minutes. I promise to be close, but let's just kind of flip back through the, the gospel of Luke, like where we've been. Go ahead in your Bible, go flip back over and just look at the headings or look at the notes you've made or look at the things you've underlined. And, and let's look and say, okay, it starts with Mary and Joseph. How amazing that you might even say in Luke chapter 1 and into chapter 2, the entire like human uh, reign of God, the kingdom of God, you can fit it in a barn. You can fit the like the earthly kingdom of God like right there in a little stable gathered around a manger with the cattle lowing and the whole nine yards. Like right there. That's, the, that, that's where this is starting. Then flip over to to chapter 2 and now it includes the circle is growing and it's John's family and it's Simeon and Anna these faithful uh, temple workers and the transition many of these kind of rings of expansion have um, I think we have pictures here that uh, go along with what I'm saying there you go so Mary and Joseph and then one more and now this is John's family Simeon and Anna and many of these have these transitional these little and that's what we're looking at today just this short brief little transitionary phrase and the end of that second 
circle, for lack of the better word, is Jesus in the temple at 12 years old, and it says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and man. So the circle has not expanded very far. Even all of the people there at the temple, they're starting to go like, something is different about this kid, but there's not this recognition. This is the Messiah. Um, And so then Luke just tells us, okay, so that's where the circle is, and Jesus grew up and God loved him, and people loved him, and, and, and he just grew up like a normal person. Then there's this next like circle of the expanse of the kingdom, and, and Jesus goes public in the ministry of John the Baptist. He's baptized. There's the transition to public ministry as, as John identifies him. Behold the Lamb of God. There's the wilderness experience. There's the temptation. We talked all about all of the Old Testament, like imagery and the story being brought from the Old Testament into the life of Christ as he begins this ministry, though it's still just around the Sea of Galilee. You know, there, this is not, uh, you know, Herod might get a little whiff of what's going on. Caesar couldn't care less. We are not to the ends of the earth here. Rather, there's this band of people just around the sea of galilee that's not very big he's he heals he casts out demons he's beginning to demonstrate that he is in fact the divine son of god more powerful than demons a crowd is gathering that's an important distinction a crowd is gathering i wouldn't say we have any disciples yet but we have a crowd and there's not much outside opposition he's rejected in Nazareth in his own hometown, but up to that point, that's all the, you know, opposition there is. And then there is this transitionary piece, chapter 4, verse 42, if you're there, go ahead and look at it. In the same way that there was this transitionary piece, and then Jesus grew. There's this transitionary piece, and he went out to this desolate place. And you'll see over and over in the writings of Luke that this is a This is a a comma. This is a point of transition. Jesus goes out to a desolate place and he spends time in prayer. So he comes back um, and the circle grows again. He's still in Galilee, but now he begins to call disciples. Do you see the movement from just Mary and Joseph to just a few to a, a, a crowd who's seeing him perform miracles? And then now we have, oh, he's doing something that rabbis do. He is calling disciples to follow him. We're still in Galilee, but it's different now. Not only does he heal uh, people of demon possession, not only does he heal people physically, but he heals lepers. The unclean become clean. Not only that, there's a cripple who before he is healed, Jesus looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. This is the expanse of the understanding of the kingdom of God, Jesus as the king and his reign being the kingdom of God. He is clearly more than a miracle worker now. He doesn't just act like a rabbi. Rabbis don't do the stuff that he does. So then is the circle that we're kind of entering into, transitioning into between this week and next week. And if you'll just take... Um, a little peek down to verse 17. So we're not covering verse 17 today, but do you see how it says, and he came down with them and stood at a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem. That's a bigger crowd than we've had before. 
and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. Well, what's unique about the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon? These should be probably national Israel, but there's no Jews that live there. No, now the kingdom of God is including people who are coming from non-Jewish places. And you can understand what a, I don't know, frustration, surprise that is, for those who have come are learning that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. It turns out that Jesus is indeed the Jewish Messiah, but also there is this truth, there is this movement, there is this motion, there is this thing happening. The kingdom of God is on the move, and it's not going to be contained by the borders of Israel. Jesus is clearly the Jewish Messiah, but also he's not going to be contained by people's ideas of who the Jewish Messiah is or by the nation of Israel. This is something that you and I might think about. That from the very beginning in this outward expansion of the kingdom of God, people have wrestled with, this is more dangerous than I thought. This is a lot messier than I thought. That this ever-expanding gospel might be a little less controllable a little more fun that we might have to understand it in more of a humble bow at your feet kind of way instead of i've got it i'll take it from here kind of way the image of church folk like us being well dressed and buttoned up well organized you know we're taking communion because the spirit let us take communion just like he does the first Sunday of every month, right? You know that, that kind of highly buttoned up, like, well, that's really a function of not a, the modern church, the medieval church. The early church is a little more like the Wild West. The early church is a frontier mission. The early church are people so on fire that they are in harm's way all the time. Don't you worry sometimes that we're a little, I don't know, that we've lacked, that we've lost a little of that frontier, forward-moving attitude? You know, there's really two big ideas about what the church could be. A church, the church. Or just your church, the family that, that meets at your house and is the church at your house. The two ideas are, old imagery it's why the book of jonah was written because this has been the argument since you know for thousands of years that the people of god are either a fortress or we're a lighthouse i think it's a really good idea to name a church lighthouse either we are on defense or we're on offense either We are the guardians of truth, or we are the bringers of light. And it would be very hard to be both. Can you see that? It would be very hard to spend our time defending God. How silly did that sound? Uh, And at the same time, be the light and the salt of the earth. Either we are huddled together so nothing bad gets in, or we are pilgrims and missionaries engaging with the culture so they can meet our master. So Luke writes in a way so that we will know that we are part of this ever-expanding kingdom 
that we need not be God's protectors. I try to figure out a time, a couple times a year, to remind you um, what propaganda said, that God's like a lion, homie. You don't need to defend him. You just let him out of the cage, right? So valuable. That we are not God's protectors. Rather, we are his emissaries. We go in his name. There should be some danger. There should be some adventure. There should be some fun in that. Agreed. We're not on defense hoping that the culture doesn't get any worse, hoping that the culture doesn't, you know, dilute us in some way. Does, is light ever scared of the darkness? No. And you know, I know I probably should even be careful using words like we're on offense when we talk about mission because it sounds like maybe we should be arrogant, you know? We're on offense. We have the ball. Let's go. It's a good time to remind you that that we have one weapon in the New Testament. We have one, one thing that we are allowed to do, and that's love our neighbors ourselves. As we are taking the mission of the kingdom of God out into the world, we have but one strategy, and that is love. The tools that we see even Jesus using are things like all night laboring in prayer, like sacrifice, like suffering, it's frontier ministry. Being peacemakers, even martyrdom. In fact, in the New Testament, it's those that are opposed to the gospel that are violent and mean. So what we would expect as we say, look, this is a big expansion. The reason we're talking about this now is this is a really big step that Jesus is taking. The kingdom is never going to be the same as he spends this night in prayer and comes and calls his apostles. What would we expect Jesus doing before that kind of a big decision? I don't know what we would expect a leader of Jesus' caliber to be doing, but maybe unless you already knew the story, spending all night in prayer would surprise you. But that's what he's doing. In these days, remember what these days are. Luke says, in these days. These are the days that crowds are beginning to follow, the disciples have been called, that opposition is beginning to rise. So in these days, he went to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from the twelve whom he named apostles. Man, let's transition from looking at the way Luke is telling the story to just focusing on Jesus and a couple of observations about the kind of leader, leader Jesus was. Jesus, as he made decisions in being the king, being the leader of the kingdom of God, labored all night in prayer. You know, it's easy to nod our heads and go, mm, prayer is important, yeah. But it's also really easy to disconnect prayer lives, even rich, full prayer lives, from our actual decision-making in our lives. To do things like, well, I prayed about it. I prayed for 45 minutes about it this morning. But then when we actually are making decisions in our lives, that kind of time of prayer stays back at 5.30 in the morning. And instead, we're participating in worry. We're participating in fear. We're making pro and con lists. Nothing wrong with a little wisdom and making a pros and cons list. But do you hear what I'm saying? That many times we get up off of our knees and instead of, of, of making prayer the way we make 
make decisions, the way we lead, the way we live our lives. Instead, it's just a piece of our lives. Then we get up in our own power and do what seems right in our own eyes. And seriously, if there was anyone in history who could probably make a decent decision on the fly, wouldn't it be Jesus? If there was anyone who was like, I don't need to stay up all night praying, I've got this. I know how to make a good decision. Wouldn't it be the perfect human, the Son of God? Can't he fall back on, I'm God. I'll just do what I want. I can make a decision without help. But you know, that's not the picture of Jesus in the Gospels at all. Is he divine? Yes. Is he God in the flesh? Yes. But we see Jesus more than once laboring in prayer, all night continuing in prayer. And may I remind you that Jesus is not only God, but he is the second person of the Trinity. And let me just suggest that more than God, I need answers. Jesus is spending all night in prayer because he misses his heavenly father. It's not just information Jesus wants. It's relationship with God and the Holy Spirit that Jesus wants. Far from not needing God to make a decision, Jesus longs for fellowship with God. And I wonder if we viewed decision-making, places we have to lead, um, the ways we interact with our family and friends, if we viewed that not in, oh man, I got to pray so God gives me information, if we just thought, I need to commune with God. I need to be filled. I need more of Him in my life, less of me, more of Him. How can I come to the place where I just am I'm craving that intimate time with the Father? You know, there are a lot of books on prayer. There's some good ones. There's plenty of sermons preached on prayer. We've done that here. But there is no substitute for a longing for fellowship with the Father, for a longing for fellowship with the Spirit, for longing for fellowship with Christ. Don't just pray about decisions. Labor in prayer. Pray early. Pray often. Pray without ceasing. Learn not just to say the right words. The right words don't matter. Learn to just be jealous for time with the Father. Jesus did not need information. What he needed, desired, craved was just fellowship with God. You know, the other thing I noticed about Jesus leading here is that he called others to lead alongside him. Again, if there was ever anybody who didn't need that kind of stress, it would be Jesus. Wouldn't you just even assume that Jesus would be like, here's the hierarchy in the kingdom of God? Me, the rest of you. And yet, it's Jesus' desire for us to reign with him, for us to be his emissaries, that we would not just be servants, but that he would call us friends. You know, another thing you think, didn't he already call these guys? Didn't we just have, have sermons a couple of weeks ago about some of these same men being called? Is this like a, what is this? Is Luke like mixing up stories? Haven't we read of the calling of several of these guys already? And if so, um, if they were 
called to be disciples before. Why are they being called to be his disciples now? And I think this is an important part. And we don't do a lot of like arguing about soteriology around here because it makes me tired and I don't like it. Um, but many would say that this would be proof that, that Jesus just chose these to be his disciples. And I would say, ah, there are lots of disciples. These are those he's calling to be his apostles. So there are many who we would say in crass, you know, 2021 language, we would say lots of people are saved. Lots of people are following him as disciples. Rather, this is a specific call of the disciples of 12 who would be on a special mission. This isn't a call to salvation. This is a call to leadership. And I hope you covet that. I think every Christian person needs to say, oh man, God, I would love for you to call me to something meaningful. I would love to not just be in my living room going, Jesus loves me, this I know, but I would love to be somewhere adventurous, even dangerous, fun, saying, Jesus loves you, this I know. Don't you crave that? And that's what's happening here. We use the word disciple in a few different ways. Sometimes we need to be more precise. The New Testament talks about the crowds, so the crowds are not necessarily students or followers. We might use the word, you might just, when it says crowds, you could cross that out and put looky-loos. These are people who's come to check stuff out. If, if you weren't born in church, you know what it's like. Just be like, all right, I'm out of answers. I'll go check it out. Or my dumb friend keeps talking about Jesus. Oh, I guess I'll pay attention this time. Sometimes they need something. They've brought people that are sick and need to be healed. But these, the crowd is not a designation for people that we would say are in the kingdom, people that we would say are, are followers of Jesus. That word is disciple. And when the New Testament, frequently when the New Testament uses disciple, this is students, those that are following Jesus, those that are sitting at his feet, those that are, are looking to him as their rabbi, men and women committed to learning from him, Acts 1 would tell us that after the resurrection, before Pentecost, there were about how many disciples? Pretty underwhelming. It's 120. After all of this, it's like 120 people who actually were faithfully uh, followers of Jesus in the, the, the time of the crucifixion. And then there's this group of men that we see here that the, the scriptures will call the 12 or the apostles in the gospels. The apostle, the word apostle means somebody who is sent. So these are called to be his who would go, who would be emissaries of Jesus. This is important because it shows us some important things about how Jesus uh, grows leaders, calls people. First of all, you recognize that it's a call. There was no contest. There was no... Um, you know, uh, I, I remember being in Bible school where we actually had preaching contests, right? That's weird, isn't it? I mean, look, we were all dumb and we could use a little competition to motivate us to do our homework. I understand what they were doing. But don't we kind of think that maybe that's what church leadership or Christian leadership should be like? Uh, it's, the, it's the smartest ones. It's the most eloquent ones. There appears to be, although Jesus knows these men, he knows their personalities, there doesn't appear to be anything about them that has caused them to be distinguished from the rest of the disciples. Rather, it's a call. Jesus called them. 
And this, a couple things then about the Jesus, like, leadership in calling these people. First of all, this is the normal leadership progression in the church. For anyone who wants to do big things for Jesus, for anyone who wants to be on this missional adventure where we are being the light, being the salt, where it's not just in the, you know, just the candle burning here, just in the salt shaker, but rather saying, no, why we come here on Sundays in part as we worship is to, that we would have the tools. This is why we come to Wednesday night. So we would have the tools that we would be able to go be a light everywhere we go. Following comes first. Isn't that amazing? That Jesus calls the disciples, follow me. And that is all the instruction. Just follow me. There's been a call to follow and they have followed. I think it's interesting that, 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 now, is there a, uh, that now that there is a call to be an apostle, to be sent, but still they follow. There will be times in a couple of chapters where Jesus says, all right, guys, here's what I want you to do. You go over there and you do this stuff. But that's not now. He says, hey, guys, I'm going to send you. So now, just hang out. Pay attention. Learn. Follow. Mark records this same scene and uses words that I love. It's one, of my, it's one of my favorite passages in the Scripture. As Mark records Jesus calling the twelve, he says he called the twelve so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. Do you want to know what your mission is? Be with him. Just be with him. Learn to love him. Learn to spend time with him. Learn to follow him. Learn what he's like and try to be like that. And then we are sent out with the message. You know, even as I say that, I've got great stories and I could tell you a bunch of of, of, of junior hires, of elementary school kids who got saved at VBS and brought their friends to Christ the next day without any adults involved at all. Like, it's not that the Holy Spirit can't use anybody at any time, but the normative path is follower, crowd follower, and then leader. Following comes first. Do you want to be a leader in the kingdom of God? I hope you do. Do you want God to use you in big ways? Learn to follow. Learn to love him. Learn to pray. The next, you know, second observation about how Jesus is putting this leadership team together is that it was from community that the 12 were called. Not only does following come first, but community comes first. You know, some of us are by personality leaders. Some of us are by gifting leaders. But in the kingdom of God, being part of the community comes before leading the community. And that's not always true in the world, right? In the world, we go find the CEO who has the best track record, who is, has the best ideas. But it's always that we want to find people who would lead from this room, from people who are already loving other people. Um, there's kind of this idea in the world of you know, how we be successful, how we lead is we go off and be trained and come back as the boss. Well, first of all, there's no the boss except for Jesus in the kingdom of God. There's only servants. 
and how you develop into the servant that God can really use is to be part of the community. Learn to love not only him, but learn to love each other. It's from the community that Jesus calls these 12 men. Then just very quickly, well, let me ask you before we move on, as you look at your life, like where are you right now? Are you the crowd? Are you hanging out? Kind of like doing church stuff? Here for the potluck after? It's great. We've all been in the crowd. It's a great place to be. I'd invite you to give your life to Jesus. I'd invite you to move from crowd to follower, to disciple. Be his. Are you a follower of Jesus? But kind of from the outskirts. Man, it is my heart that we would not just grow a sweet little church family where the 80 of us can get together and enjoy each other's company, but where we would really be on mission, that where, where we would really have experiences that are fun and adventurous and dangerous in the name of Jesus. So let's look at this leadership team because I think, I, you know, we have so admired these apostles that we forget who they are. We forget what kind of team Jesus put together. Um, as we look at the list of names that Becky read to us just moments ago, I think the biggest observation is this. God likes weird teams. None of us would put this team together. We would go to the seminary and see who's available. They're from the wrong place. All but one of them are from Galilee. Can you imagine all of Jesus' disciples being from one place in Israel? That's not smart, right? Don't we need some people from Jerusalem? Because they speak the language. And don't we need some... Apparently, they've recognized John, so John's around there somewhere. Um, but don't we need people who are from, you know, Samaria so we can know that they have their input so they can tell Jesus how the Samaritans feel? These are all guys from the same area, not just any same area. These are all guys from the wrong place. The temple is not in Galilee. The temple is in Judea. The temple is in Jerusalem. There had to be a couple of faithful priests down there. Couldn't we start with them? And I just tell you this because I want to tell you from my heart and from the heart of every pastor I've ever known, none of us feel like we came from the right place. We all know for sure that it has nothing to do. And I'm just talking about pastors. Let's not elevate pastors around here, right? Um, I'm not just talking about pastors. But I'm talking about anybody who would do anything for Jesus. I don't know anybody who really God used. And then they went, it's because of my training. It's because of my upbringing. It's because of my status. God likes weird teams. God, I suppose, uses kings uses priests, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, these were most likely priests. David obviously became king. But look, God delights to use people from the wrong place in the wrong line of work. You know, I'm, I've been a pastor my whole life, and this is what I could tell you about being a pastor. I don't think God calls the strongest Christians to being a pastor. I get to be in my office reading my Bible all the time. By the way, that's awesome but it doesn't take a whole lot of strength. Rather, I find my job such a huge privilege to say, look, if you invite me to tell Jesus or tell your friends about Jesus, they'll go, of course this idiot thinks 
I should believe in Jesus. Your friends don't care what I think. Your friends care what you think. The people in your life, they're suspicious of clergy. I don't know if you've read the papers in the last 50 years. There's good reason to be suspicious of clergy. They care what you think. They don't care if I'm on mission. They care if you're on mission. Not only were there these guys from the wrong place in the wrong line of work, I think this is important in the times we're in. There was conflict built in. I don't know, built in might not be the right way to say that. I don't know that Jesus was like, let's get some conflict in here. But certainly, it, is, it would have been no surprise if there were some arguments around the campfire. I make jokes about this a lot, but I think it is very wise of us to look at Matthew and Simon the Zealot in the same team. We would have to keep them apart at all times. You couldn't even have a softball team with these two guys. Matthew is working for Rome, and Simon is working to overthrow Rome. It, Simon, they call him the Zealot. Luke makes a point to say Simon, who is called the Zealot. The Zealots, pretty, pretty much every political idea of the time was just trying to figure out what do we do about Rome. That was like the only real political issue that everybody thought about. And the, you know, the Pharisees were like, we just have to be as pure as possible and then God will kick out Rome. And the Sadducees were like, Rome builds nice stuff. Let's, you know, let's, let's play ball with Rome. And uh, the Essenes were like, we're out of here. We're gone. We don't want it. We're just going to head for the hills. Literally headed for the hills. The Zealots were like, I have an idea. Kill everybody. Matthew is a tax collector that works for Rome. And Simon hates him. There is great unity in the church if we follow Jesus. There is zero unity in the church if we organize around anything else. The only chance we have of being on mission, of living big, adventurous, missional lives, is that we would say, I'm a tax collector, that guy's a zealot. That's what we used to be. Now we are disciples of Jesus. Yeah. Eyes on Jesus. So Luke is telling the story of an ever-growing kingdom of God. This victorious work of prayer, of service, of sacrifice that unites all kinds of different people on the mission of self-denying love that proclaims the risen Christ as the only way to joy and peace. Are you in? Are you the crowd? Are you here just trying to figure it out? What is following Jesus about? That is what following Jesus is about. Is this ever-expanding, loving kingdom of sacrificial love that is the one and only path to love and joy and peace. The only way people are being united. The only way there is hope. The only way your sins don't define you. And Jesus would invite you to join him. Are you part of the crowd? Are you a disciple? Are you learning to labor in prayer? Are you desiring community with Him? Are you desiring community with the church? Are you, are you learning to make decisions like Jesus? Are you learning more and more how to say, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me? 
or are you on mission? Have you gone public? Do you view your life not as, well, I better figure out how to be right all the time, but rather, have you organized your life? I need to be light. I need to be salt. I need to be the one where if people know me, they know what Jesus is like. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the story of these 12 apostles. Thank you for the, the story of you up all night praying. God, sometimes I've been up all night praying feeling like it was weakness. <laughs> God, this is what you've called us to do is be in community with you, be in community in, with each other, not to view ourselves as this holy huddle fortress, but to view ourselves on mission, being light, being led by you in an ever-expanding kingdom of love. Lord, teach us, lead us. We want that. Lord, for each of us, I, I just pray that we would not only see the call of these guys 2,000 years ago, but we would hear your voice calling us to this kind of a life now. I love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, why don't you stand? We'll sing the doxology together. Let's sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Hey, go have fun and get messy in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. I'll see you next week.
。